You're listening to the Grace Church Podcast, a weekly podcast dedicated to bringing you biblical guidance to life's most important issues. We want to thank you for joining us for this week's message. We pray you find strength and encouragement as we learn from God's truth together. For more information, go to visitgracechurch.com. Hey guys, every year in the United States, every single year, 135,000 times, a family walks into a family court and an adoption is finalized. 135,000 kids are adopted each year, uh, which is amazing. They become this moment where they say, we are family. Uh, 59% of those, uh, the family, was, the birth family was not looking for that. The foster care had to get involved. The state had to get involved. Um, about 26% of those families in the U.S. go internationally to another country that's partnering and they adopt an international a child from some other country. Uh, about 15% of those, only 15%, there's a choice being made in the U.S. Uh, by a birth mom, birth dad. They either locate a family uh, to adopt or they flip through uh, one of those uh, profiles, the adoption profiles. And, um, you know, our church is very much involved with that. We have a foster and adoption group uh, that encourages that. Uh, my own family, uh, my wife and I got qualified for foster ad- foster care years ago, taking the MAP classes. I encourage you to do that, by the way, even just take the class to be qualified. Then the adoption opportunity came up. Uh, God's heart is with Children who are orphans, children who do not have parents. And so I encourage you to get involved with that. Uh, here's an example adoption profile. This came from the Bridges family. Uh, when they put this picture together, when they were actually putting their adoption profile together, and they were really felt like God was prompting them that they were going to have a baby girl. And then they had a baby girl and lost the baby girl. It was miserable for them. And then later on, they adopted their baby girl right now. It was an amazing story. Uh, by the way, just imagine for a second what it would be like to be a birth parent to select, part of the 15%, to select a family to raise your son. Pretend you had a son for a second. Pretend you had to pick today. You have to pick someone to raise your son for you, a dad to raise your son. What would you look for in that stepdad? What would you look for in that adoptive dad? Most likely you would look for, you'd flip through the profiles, you'd look for characteristics that you value about yourself, you want to pass on some characteristics, or things you wish you had, you could give that child, you'd pass on things you hope for that child. Here's the thing, 2,000 years ago, Jesus could flip through all the adoption profiles, all the stepdad profiles in the world, and he chose Joseph. Because he saw things in Joseph, God was already at work in Joseph's life, God saw himself at work in Joseph in four areas we're going to talk about. And so we're going to talk about Joseph, the stepfather of Jesus. Jesus knew what it's like to be in a blended family, by the way. He knew what it's like to have a stepdad. Blended families are harder sometimes. He had a stepdad. He had half-brothers and sisters. Jesus knew what it's like to be smarter than his stepdad because he was. And so we're going to talk about Joseph. Why did God choose Joseph? What about him did he see these characteristics, these non-negotiable characteristics in the man that God chose to raise his own son on his behalf. That's the story of Joseph. So we're in a series right now called We Are Family. We're talking about the fact that uh, 2,000 years ago, Galatians 4, 4 to 5, which is our key text for Christmas Eve. Galatians 4 says Jesus came to this world so God could adopt you 
out of your horrific spiritual family. Everybody is born spiritually into the devil's family. It is an abusive family. It's a family which it results in death. God offers you salvation being adopted out of that spiritual family the day you receive Christ as Savior. So this week, we're going to begin in Luke chapter 1 in just a moment. And really, last week we talked about Joseph, or Jesus' mom. Who was Jesus' mom? We talked about her last week. Pick it up online if you missed that. This week, who was Jesus' stepdad? We're talking about him. Why did God choose him? Why did he choose his stepfather profile to entrust his own son to raise on his behalf? Talk about him, why God chose him, and what that applies to our life today. And So let's pray and we'll, we'll dive into this story. God, we do pray right now. I thank you for this man named Joseph that you handpicked out of all the possible stepfather profiles in this world. When you entrusted your son to a man to raise on your behalf, you chose Joseph. And I thank you. You saw some things in him that when you're at work inside of us, these are the characteristics that we see coming out of us. We see you living and ruling inside of our hearts we pray you'd help us to see the scripture open up this story to us in a fresh way to see what the challenge joseph faced what the challenge he faced in his engagement time we pray this in in jesus name amen amen we're going to be in luke chapter one then to start the story kind of reset the story of last week who is jesus mom and what jesus mom did when they were engaged so let's go back to jesus mom for a second and luke chapter one verse 26 It starts this way. Uh, Now, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Okay, there's three areas in Jesus' day of Israel. There's the north, the Galilee, the middle, Samaria, the south, Judea. Jesus' mom was from the north, the Galilee, in a small nowhere town called Nazareth. She's from the north. It says in verse 27, this angel was sent to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. A couple things about this girl from the north. First of all, she's a virgin. She'd never been with a guy. It also implies purity. She'd not been pushing the line in sexual activity. And she was betrothed. She was engaged. So in Jesus' day, when you got engaged, it's different than in our day. You were legally married. Engaged people were legally called husband and wife. And if you broke off an engagement, you had to get a legal divorce to break your legal engagement. So here's how engagement happened in Jesus' day. The families would get together. They would discuss whether it's a good fit. The groom and the bride were given the opportunity to speak into that as well. Um, And then the engagement was sealed with a gift. The groom's family would offer a gift to the bride's family. And at that point, you're married. You are husband and wife. You're called husband and wife in every way but the physical. No sexual activity, no living together yet, but you are husband and wife. That engagement would go about a year. The groom would leave. He would say, I would, I'm going to prepare a place for you and I will return for you. He'd go home, prepare a room for you, a floor for you, a neighboring house for you. He'd prep where you'd be living. The bride would prepare also her wedding garments, things for the party. She did not know when her wedding was exactly. The groom would show up with his group and the best man would blow the trumpets. She'd know the wedding is here. He would take the bride back to his home, this place he prepared for her. He would consummate this wedding. Now they were husband and wife. Now the party would begin. 
That is how engagement happens. So this is the moment. The families, Joseph and Mary's families, have agreed. They have made a contract, a covenant. They are husband and wife, preserving themselves for each other. They're engaged. And this angel comes and tells Mary during the engagement, as she's preparing her clothing, looking forward to the wedding one of these days, you're going to be pregnant by the Holy Spirit. It is Jesus inside you, the Savior, the King of Kings. She gets this news. And then she hears news about an older cousin living in the south. Mary's from the north. Her cousin Elizabeth's from the south. It says in verse 36. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. So Elizabeth, her cousin, lives in the south. She was called barren by people who knew her. She was trying to have kids. She got pregnant miraculously. That baby is John the Baptist. Jesus was related to John the Baptist. And now Elizabeth's like six months pregnant. She's at the end of her second trimester, entering her third trimester. Mary's about to enter her first day of being pregnant with Jesus. So how does she respond? Verse 39. Then Mary, who's engaged right now, arose in those days and went into the hill country with haste to a city of Judah. Okay, so she asked her fiance, asked her parent, can I go visit Elizabeth? I just heard she's six months pregnant. Are you crazy? This is amazing. And her fiance says, sure, absolutely, honey. You want to go visit? So she walks the hundred miles it would require from the north to the river, Jordan, down the Jordan River Valley, up the mountains into Jerusalem and to visit her cousin. That's fine. If your fiance is asking you to go visit her cousin, sure, honey, you go right ahead. That sounds fantastic. It's about to be miserable for him. It says down in verse 56, Mary remained for her, remained with her about three months and returned to her house. Okay, so Mary stays with Elizabeth for three months, which I believe if I add six months plus three months is nine months. She stayed to the birth of John the Baptist. Now Mary is three months pregnant. End of her first trimester, she witnessed the birth of John the Baptist and she returns home. It's so exciting. There's no email in those days. There's no social media. There's no phone calls. Likely Joseph heard nothing. This becomes the most miserable moment of his life. Miserable day of his life. When your fiance, who goes on a trip for three months, comes back and guess what? She's three months pregnant and you know you're not the guy. That is miserable. Why did God choose Joseph? Of all the guys in the world, all the profiles, adoption profiles, what did God see about himself at work in Joseph that made him choose? This is the man I want to raise my son for me. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 1 now. Let's see the story of Joseph when he learns. And he faces the worst moment of his life. It says in verse 18 now. uh, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph... Before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. So in restudying this passage, I wonder what this word found. Like it doesn't say she came out with this news. It said she was found. That word in Greek is, is used when you're searching for something and you discover it. You're looking for it. Or you're walking around you happen upon something. It's not when you fully disclose it yourself. It's discovered. She was found with child. Uh, I can tell you over the years, working with couples, um, whether engaged or often married, when they find, the moment they find they've been cheated on is horrific. So they, they find the receipt. You've been cheating on me. 
One time a lady in our church uh, suspected her husband, her husband getting on a plane to another city. A leader was two seats back and he got on with his girlfriend. And the wife found, yeah, he is cheating on me. The text messages are found. The pictures are found. The Facebook messages are found. And it's horrific. One time we had a lady suspect her husband. Go online. Use Google Street View. I kid you not. With the lady's house and see her husband's car there. Like God discovered it. She was found. And that moment is horrific. When what you suspect or don't suspect is found. Joseph found that his fiance was pregnant. And he wasn't the father. It's miserable. So then, he only had, really thinking, two options or three. He's got three options. Only thinking about two of them right now. Verse 19. Then Joseph, her husband, uh, being a just man, and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. So Joseph only had like three options right now. He could go forward this marriage. That's off the table. I'm not marrying her. Are you crazy? He's got two options. It's divorce either way. A public divorce or a secret divorce. In Jesus' day, you had two options for divorce. One was a public, messy, shaming divorce. The reason would be out there. Public would know about that. And by the way, there's many people over the years that when they discover and they're processing their pain, absolutely they want it public. I want, I want his friends to know what he did to me. I want his family to feel what she did to me. I want everyone to know. Public example. The other option was a secret divorce. In a secret divorce, all you had to do was get like two or three witnesses, give a paper, a bill of divorcement, and say, go have your baby somewhere else. Not sure who he is, but go find him. And it's quiet. and Nobody knows outside of the birth. Okay, those are two options. So then he goes to sleep. How can you sleep in these moments? Like probably with a fitful sleep in these moments is miserable. Like you can hardly sleep. Like you're, he's trying to process what's going on. Falls asleep and an angel speaks to him in a dream. Verse 20 says, Why, but while he thought about these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. He's sleeping, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. The most mentioned commandment in all the Bible. Don't worry. Don't be afraid to take to you, marry your wife. For that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. So the angel tells him, take option three. Do not be afraid to marry her. Which means, go to, don't be afraid to go to her house, blow the trumpets, even if it's not going to be a huge party because she's pregnant, be more of a subdued kind of a thing, bring her back to the place you're preparing for her, do not be afraid to bring her back. Why would he be afraid to marry her? Probably on multiple levels. He'd be afraid, first of all, that God thought it was wrong. Like this is, does God think this is wrong? How about the other, the other husband or father of the, the baby? Is that wrong for him? How about not being believed by the, you know, Mary's parents? Can you imagine going to Mary's parents and saying, now listen, I know Baby's about three months. It's been three months ago since I saw her. I know. I didn't touch her. I don't know who did. The Holy Spirit made her pregnant. And I, out of nobility, am going to marry her. Yeah, right. He was afraid of not being believed by her parents, by his parents, by the community. 
And the Holy Spirit of God speaks through this angel and says, do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife. Option three, marry her. And then the the angel tells the division of labor. Verse 21, she will bring forth a son. That's her role. And you shall call his name Jesus. That's your role. For he, Jesus, will save his people from their sins. That's his role. And here God takes away the naming rights of a father. Typically you name a, a, a boy after the father or a male relative. God is the father. So he names him a contraction. Jesus. Which is a contraction of two words. Yahweh. That's the G part. Yahweh, which is God. That's himself. Zus. Hosea. Salvation. God is salvation. That's what Jesus means. He says, name this boy after me. I am salvation. In this boy, I am salvation. So then, it says in verse 22, so all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord to the prophet, saying, he quotes Isaiah 7, 14, behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. This is who Jesus is. God was in human form. And then Joseph woke up. And one of the most freaky dreams you'd ever get, um, he woke up and the, and the Bible records what Joseph did and what he did not do. He did do something, he did not do something else. What did he do? Verse 24, then Joseph being aroused from sleep did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. And took to him his wife. So he got his best man. They made that journey. It was a trumpet blowing or silent, shameful, who knows. But he brought her back from her home to the place he prepared for her. And he accepted her in marriage. He did it. No matter what anybody else said or thought. What he did not do. Verse 25. He did not know her. They weren't sexually active. Till she had brought forth her firstborn son. And he called his name Jesus. Okay, three more things we need to know about Joseph. Three more facts about him. First of all, he's a carpenter. That's how Jesus became a carpenter. In Jesus' day, your career path was very simple. Is your dad a fisherman? You're a fisherman. Is your dad a, is your dad a carpenter? You're a carpenter. And so, Joseph was a carpenter. He apprenticed his son in carpentry, which is pretty wild since God created the very materials he's crafting. Jesus is, is the creator being taught on how to plane and how to cut and those things. Uh, and so he designed the universe and now he's designing shelving. And so uh, then he had four dreams. Uh, Joseph was spoken to over and over four different dreams over and over. That's how God spoke to him. First one was about marrying her. Second, third, and fourth dream all about moving. God spoke to Joseph in dreams about moving his wife and stepson. Uh, move to Egypt. Move back to Israel. Moved to Nazareth. Every time, dreams, God spoke to him and he came out and he did. Moved his family. And he was not at the cross. Uh, so Mary was at the cross. In John 19, Jesus entrusts the apostle John with the care of his mother. He says, John, this is your mom. Woman, this is your son. Joseph is not there. Knowing his character, he's either incapacitated or likely passed away. He's passed away most likely. So why? Here's the question. Why? Why did God choose? When he flipped through all the adoption profiles in this world, why did he choose Joseph? What did he see about his work in his soul that made him entrust Joseph with his own son to raise on his behalf? 
These are the same four things, by the way. When God's at work in you, God builds these. God shows himself through you. You see these in you. Here's the first thing we see in the scripture. God chose a just stepdad for his son. First thing you look for, you see mentioned, he is a just man, a fair man. In fact, we know Joseph, her husband, that's what you're called when you're engaged. You're already called husband, being a just man. The word just means fair. It can be translated righteous or right. This is the man who did things right. He was just. He was fair. Where does somebody who's actually God calls just and fair draw their sense of morality from? They don't draw their morality from their community or their parents or even their own internal compass. They draw it from Scripture. Romans chapter 7. Paul talks about this in Romans 7 verse 12. And he says what, where the definition of just is found. What is fair? What is righteous? What is right? Uh, Paul writes, therefore, the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. Yeah, what is moral? I mean, society saying things that are immoral. Culture is saying things that are moral. Should we adopt their sense of morality? It's shifting. The winds are blowing right now. Should, is that moral? Shouldn't that be right? Why wouldn't you say that's okay? That's not okay. What we find scripture is the definition of what just and fair and righteous. God, when he picked a man for him, going through the profiles, I want to find a man who has his definition of morality not based in culture or the shifting sands of society. I want a man whose definition of morality is found from scripture. That's the kind of guy I want to raise my son on my behalf. Joseph was a just man. The first thing you see said about him, he was just, he was fair, he did things right, he was righteous. Do you sense God growing a sense of morality that's aligning with Scripture in your life? It's hard sometimes because sometimes you're like, if I believe that over what culture is telling me to believe, what's acceptable, I'm going to be unpopular. Yeah. But you'll be popular with the audience of one. God is just. He says, that's the kind of guy I want. I want a guy who's just. Secondly, when you look at the story of Joseph, it's another characteristic of God at work in him. It says back in Matthew chapter 1, God chooses a merciful stepdad for his son. A merciful stepdad. And you get that from this phrase. He was not wanting to make her a public example. Okay, I've dealt with many people over the years. They want to make their spouse a public example. I want to stick it to her or him. I have hurt, and I get it, by the way. I've hurt so much. He or she has hurt me so much. They're not hurting. I want them to really, really hurt. If you have a man that's just just, I'm just fair. This is what the word of God says. Without mercy, you got a very hard person. God didn't want that kind of a guy to raise his son. He entrusted the man to raise his son, who is not only just, but merciful. He didn't want her to hurt he didn't want to embarrass her. He didn't want to shame her. Mercy is not giving somebody, somebody something bad they deserve. He didn't want to give her something bad she deserved. You start, by the way, that's because that's a characteristic of God. That was God at work in Joseph. That's not him. That's God at work. Psalm 103 verse 8 talks about what mercy is. That's who the Lord is. The Lord is merciful. God was flipping through the profiles looking for him at work in a man. He found a just man who's also Incredibly merciful. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger. That's what he's looking for. A dad who wouldn't blow up quickly. Slow 
to anger and abounding in mercy. What is mercy? Holding back bad things you do deserve. Verse 10. Here's the definition of mercy. He, God, has not dealt with us according to our sins. Praise God. That's what mercy is. Nor punished us according to our iniquities. God saw in Joseph not just a man who was just, who draws a sense of morality from Scripture, but also was incredibly merciful, who desired not to make life miserable for those who hurt him and deserved it. He was merciful. He had God's mercy living in his soul. There's another characteristic that God saw. God was already at work in Joseph when he chose Joseph. Just, merciful, and also deliberate. God chose a deliberate stepdad. And I'm using the term deliberate in the sense of deliberating. You know, when a jury deliberates, they think. He chose a thoughtful stepdad. A stepdad who wouldn't make quick decisions. A stepdad who wouldn't snap and say, that's it, I'm doing that. Somebody who would actually weigh the options. He was picking a stepdad for his son that would think instead of just feel and act. Feel, hold off acting, think, then act. You see this, by the way, because it says, while he thought about these things. He he was trying to weigh his three options. Marry her? Nope. Public shaming? Don't really want to. Private? Okay. He's still thinking about it. He's not going to snap and make a quick decision. But God talks about this value of himself inside of us, of the ability to hold off making snap decisions in the heat of emotion. Uh, it says over in Proverbs chapter 19, talks about this, Proverbs 19 verse 2. says, also it is not good for a soul to be without knowledge. And he sins who hastens with his feet. You know, I can't tell you how many times over the years somebody has come to me or news has come to me and one side of the equation sounds so like, how could that happen? And I'm like internally enraged at the injustice of the situation. I'm like, I'm wanting to charge out there on a white steed. We are going to right this wrong. The problem was I was without knowledge. Because then somebody says, oh, did they not tell you this other piece of information? (gasps) Well, that makes sense. Because the Proverbs also says, whoever's first getting to you with their story seems just. But the wise person searches it out. Finds out more information. It is not good to make decisions when you don't have the knowledge yet. And God says, even if you have the right decision, if you hasten with your feet, that good decision becomes sin. There are certain decisions so big, you shouldn't snap and make that decision. It's so big, you've got to delay a little bit to give yourself a chance to think while he thought. God flipped the the stepfather profiles and found just my my sense of morality is in him. Mercy. He wanted to offer that. Deliberate. He would not snap. He would think. He'd want to snap. He'd feel like snapping. He may say snappy things, but he would think through it afterwards. He'd think One more characteristic about Joseph, that God was at work in Joseph's life back in Matthew chapter 1. It's a little later on, down in verse uh, verse 24. God chose an obedient stepdad. He chose an obedient stepdad. This is a huge value for him. But look at what it says here. Joseph was aroused from sleep. Joseph did as commanded. God values that. Doing as he commands you. He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He was looking through the final thing for the profile. I'm looking for a, a stepdad 
who, after they figure out this is what God wants, he's going to obey me. I want an obedient stepdad that when God says it, he's going to do it. Even if it's hard or unpopular, he didn't want to do it himself. He's going to obey. Why is that? Because God was raising a son, Jesus, to be an obedient son as well. He gave him to a stepdad who was obedient to God to train him to have a son who was obedient to God. Jesus talked about his obedience being seen at the cross. John chapter 8, John chapter 8 verse 28. And Jesus said to them, when you lift up the Son of Man, when you crucify me, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing of myself. I am an obedient son to God. But as my Father taught me, I speak these things. When you crucify me, you're going to figure out, I've been speaking whatever God says, I'm obedient. I've been doing nothing just by myself. I seek the Lord, say what He says. I do what He wants me to do. Verse 29. And He... Who sent me is with me. I sense God the Father with me right now. The Father has not left me alone. I know he's with me. For I always do. I always obey. Those things that please him. And notice the root of obedience for a believer in Jesus Christ. It's not because you have to. It's not, okay, if I I obey, I make God happy, you know, I I earn some right with God. If I disobey, um, I'm really a bad person. No, no, no. We get set free by Jesus Christ. When we obey, we don't do it to earn anything. We do it to please Him. Well, if this makes God happy, I'll do that. I like making God happy. I like learning what makes God happy and doing that. And guess what I know? God's happy. God's pleased at this point. I like doing that. Obedience is rooted in desiring to please God when you don't have to. You're set free. And God picked Joseph, a man who he didn't care what his in-laws thought about him or his own parents or his city or his community. No one believed him. No one. I wasn't with her. An angel came to me. Yeah, right. He went and he did. He took her. And he moved his family, he moved his family, he moved whatever God said. God, I'll I'll do that. I'm an obedient stepdad. So here's the thing, guys. Do you see Christ at work in you? Which of these areas is resonating with you? Listen to this Holy Spirit of God. Is it the concept of being a just person? Like Joseph, drawing your sense of morality, not from culture, not from what's popular, not even what you want. There are things I don't want to believe. But I choose to believe because God says it. I don't like it. Culture doesn't like it. Too bad for me in culture. Is God trying to raise your level of justness to being what Scripture actually says? Maybe it's mercy. Maybe you got the just thing. Oh, you can be fair. Rock hard fair. When it comes to mercy, not so much. You still want that person to suffer. You're still working to get that person to suffer. Mercy is who God is. When God's at work in you, you're a merciful person. How about deliberate a thoughtful person. Yeah, you snap. Yeah, you say things. But you hold off decision making till you think. Or obedience. Is there something God's calling you to? You have not obeyed. And it's time. How about this? Do you know that you know that Jesus Christ is alive? That he is living? That you, he's your savior? That Christ lives inside you? Because if Christ doesn't live inside you, you can't fake or manufacture these things. God's calling you to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the story of Joseph. I thank you for 
you being at work in this man, that your sense of justice was in him, that your incredible mercy was shown through him, that your ability to be deliberate and intentional was in him, and that your obedience was working through him. God, may you work through each one of us, move in our lives in that area. If somebody needs Jesus Christ as Savior, call them to salvation, to bow the knee, to confess with their mouth, to admit they're a sinner, believe Jesus Christ died and rose again, and confess you as Lord and Savior. Move in our midst, Lord, please. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you have questions or would like to contact us for prayer, please email us at info at visitgracechurch.com. For more information about our ministries, location, and service times, go to visitgracechurch.com. Thank you.